It was like an inch at the top. Gertie is 93 years old. There's a mask that I have for Halloween that's the Cyclops. It's time for The Appleseed, a show filled with all kinds of stories for you and your family. Telling stories can bring us closer to the ones we love and help strangers find common ground. In fact, we hope the stories we bring you here on the show give you the opportunity to reach out with your own stories, get to know the people around you, and start conversations in the way that only the sharing of stories can. On The Appleseed, we believe that great stories can change your world. I'm your host, Sam Payne, and today we've got a story for you about transformation, how something in the hands of one person may become very different in the hands of another, like how two different artists may handle clay. One might decide to make bowls for noodles out of clay, and another might decide to use the same clay to make hot chocolate mugs. Someone else might fashion a vase or a statuette. It's the same clay, more or less, but each artist comes from a different background, sees a different usefulness. The mugs might be just as useful as the bowls. The statuette may be just as beautiful as the vase, but their differences will make them appealing to the different people who use them, even though it's all the same clay. This is, in a lot of ways, like the story of America, right? In fact, a lot of aspects of our cultural identity, our clothes, our games, even our system of laws, come from other places and are shaped and molded by different groups into what we might recognize today. Take, for example, some of our most American foods, green beans and yams and rice. Those are all from Africa. Potatoes and tomatoes and corn, those are from South America. But when you sit down to Thanksgiving dinner, you might serve yourself a plate of green bean casserole and yam souffle and not even think about how different talented cooks over generations have shaped the menu at your house. Your family might have undergone the same kind of transformative process. Maybe some of you live in Tennessee, others live in Seattle, others live in Arizona. You all have a similar origin story, the same roots, the same DNA, but the place and culture where you live have made you just that distinct from your cousins who live in, say, Bar Harbor. And in fact, that transformation adds to the beauty and richness of the story of your family. Well, we got a story about just that kind of transformation for you today from Detroit storyteller, songwriter, and pastor, Reverend Robert B. Jones, who takes us through the history of 20th century American music in a single story. I know where my music come from. It come from Beyonce. If you like it, then you should've put a ring on it. If you like it, then you should've put a ring on it. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Reverend Robert B. Jones. And the story that he'll bring us today is mostly one very long song. And it tells us how different musicians in different parts of America over years and years contributed to the music that still makes us want to twist and shout. And later on in the hour, we'll continue the mystery that we began last week. Quentin Manning, detective for justice, and his sidekick, Sam Turnquist, trying to figure out who's flattening the tires at the Marlowe Middle School bike rack. Today, we discover the lengths or depths to which Quentin and Sam go to bring justice to the mysterious tire flatteners. Oh, man. Oh, man. I think we're standing in raw sewage. No, we're not. They don't put sewage in a dumpster. <laughs> Quentin and Sam trying their best to solve a mystery. The truth is, Quentin and Sam's sincere hearts are coupled with a kind of bumbling detective style that makes solving mysteries... Well, unlikely, but they'll come out okay. You'll see just a little later on in the hour as we bring you part two of the case of the flattened tires. But first, we're going to join our terrific live audience in the Appleseed studio for a little music and some toe-tapping, guitar-playing, blues-singing history from Detroit storyteller, musician, and pastor, Reverend Robert B. Jones. I can feel it calling. Let's get to it. I'll tell you, it's, it's important for kids to know where their music comes from. And before the pandemic, and hopefully in some way, shape, or form after the pandemic, it was great to be able to crowd 450 third graders into an auditorium. 
or a gymnocaphnitasium, as they have come to be called, right? Because, you know, somebody who built the modern school said, they don't need an auditorium, they need a gymnasium. And someone said, no, they need a cafeteria. And some genius came up with the gymnocaphnitasium that the only person who knows how to convert it from one thing to another is the custodian. So when you go into a school, you got to make friends with the principal, with the school secretary and with the custodian because the custodian is the only one who knows where the extension cord is. And when you, when you get those kids together and they're sitting there looking at you like, okay, old man, impress me. You got to say, okay, well, kids, I got to tell you, I have come to tell you where your music comes from. And they go, I know where my music comes from. It comes from Beyonce. If you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. If you like it, you should have put a ring on it. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I said, no, it does not come from Beyonce. Beyonce is the branch. You got to go to the root. You got to go to the stuff that doesn't change every 20 minutes. You got to go to, like... Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That is the white Methodist church. And the reason you know it's the white Methodist church is because, A, they've been singing the song for 125 years, but they're still looking at the text. That's how you know you, that's how come you know they're Methodist. And the reason you know they're white Methodist is because it lands right on the beat. It's like, amazing grace, how sweet. Or you go 500 feet down the road and you hear music coming out of the barn. Now, that's where the Baptist church is because back in the days of, of, of the, before the Civil War, the folks who had the church didn't necessarily want everybody in it. So, but they all had the same preachers, right? And the preachers would teach them about the gospel, would teach them the songs, and the, and the folks in the barn would sing the same song. It'd be like, Amazing grace How sweet the sound And when you ask those little third graders if that's the same song, they go, no! And the reason they can't grasp it is because it sounds different up the road. And that's what American music is. It's about taking it up the road. And every time you take it up the road, it changes a little bit. Imagine we were in Mississippi in the 19-teens, and there were these old crusty men like Sun House and Charlie Patton, and they're inventing this thing called Delta Blues. And it only uses three chords and five notes. It's like, got a letter this morning. Hi, you ringing red. Send hurry, hurry, cause the girl you love is dead. Got a letter this morning. Oh, Lord, I ain't ringing red. Send hurry, hurry, cause the girl you love is dead. And that only had three chords and five notes. And those five notes and those three chords did not stay in one place, but they moved down the road. They moved down the road to Memphis, Tennessee, where the piano players picked up on the five notes and called it Boogie Woogie. And the three chords became the blues. And that was hot stuff in the 20s. But by the time the 30s rolled around, America was in a Great Depression. And all those boogie-woogie piano players started moving into black churches. And all of a sudden, black church music started sounding suspiciously like boogie-woogie. Much to the chagrin of the pastor, right? Because they didn't call it church boogie-woogie, though. Called it gospel. Well, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, oh. This little light of mine 
let it shine This little light of mine, Lord, I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine Y'all know that song, right? This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine Oh, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine, Lord, I'm gonna let it Oh, let it shine, let it But here's the secret. It's the same three chords and the same five notes. Just moved up the road a little bit. Then there was a guy by the name of Jimmy Rogers in the 20s. Now he was a white railroad worker who listened to black railroad workers and contracted tuberculosis and said, Jimmy, you can't work hard like you used to. You ought to be making records. And Jimmy said, all right then. And he's made records like, I got a T for Texas, T for Tennessee. Got a T for Texas, T for Tennessee. you do today, Helen? We heard a black man yodel. Pretty cool. Same three chords and the same five notes. Long about 1935, you get a young man who wants to redo country music in his own image. The guy's name is Bill Monroe. Comes out of Kentucky and he invents something called bluegrass. Ladies and gentlemen, quite frankly, one of the most un-Negro kind of musics you can imagine. Five white guys standing around wearing cowboy hats, white suits, and periodically yelling, yeehaw. It's not my idea of bliss. But there is blues in bluegrass, in part because one of Mr. Monroe's teachers was a black guitarist by the name of Arnold Schultz, who never recorded. And, and one reason is because he had a, a guitar player who was so soulful named Lester Flatt who at the end of every one of those bluegrass verses played something called the G-Run. Kind of like... No, not quite that. That was it. Now, for you astute music students, that's just the boogie-woogie. Played with a flat pick. And you end up with songs like, I'm going down the road feeling bad, Lord, I'm going down the road feeling bad. I'm going down the road feeling bad. Same three chords, same five notes. Cause that's American music, right? We, we, we borrow, we steal, we assimilate. Well, it doesn't end there. Imagine, it's like 1948. You got a young man by the name of Ray Charles, not to be confused with Jamie Foxx. And Ray Charles has a band and Ray Charles takes gospel songs and reworks them everywhere. You used to say, Jesus, Ray says, baby. And it works out real nice. <laughs> Till one night, Ray runs out of songs. And Ray said, that's all right, baby. We gonna make up a new song on the fly. So you guys are in the band. So what I sing to you, sing back to me. Are you ready? Yeah. I say, are you ready? Yeah. Say, hey. Tell me what I say, 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 let's do it again, say ah, 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 tell me what I say, 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 I say those are the same three chords in the same five notes, except now we call it R&B. Doesn't end there. Imagine it's 1955, and not only do you have a radio, not only do you have a record player, but now you have a television. A gigantic wooden box in the middle of your living room with a little tiny screen. 
It only gets three stations. That's only if your little brother Sam is holding on to the antenna. And that means because there are only three stations, everybody's listening to the same thing at the same time or watching the same thing at the same time. On Sunday nights on CBS, everybody's watching this guy. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a really good show for you tonight. You're going to like this young man. He comes to us from Tupelo, Mississippi. By way of Memphis, Tennessee, ladies and gentlemen, he uses three chords and five notes. And Ed sticks his arm out, and the kid walks out and goes, One for the money, two for the show, three to get ready now, go, can go, but don't you mess with my blue suede shoe. You can do the things of my blue suede shoe. Thank you very much. This is the one time you really wish you had a television instead of a radio. But it doesn't end there. Imagine when I go into those schools and tell those kids about that, all those kids know who that is. That's Elvis. Elvis, who is he? He's the king. That's great. King of what? Rock and roll. Good. You know about the black king, right? There's a black king? Yeah, guy named Chuck Berry came out of St. Louis. And he sang country music to a blues beat. Like, my bling. But he kept singing faster and faster until it became something else. Same three chords, same five notes, but that's all right. You can imagine the impact that people like Elvis Presley and Chuck Berry had on society. Even in the segregated South, where folks were afraid to have their kids listen to music from the other sides of the tracks. There were black kids who wanted desperately to be Elvis and white kids who wanted desperately to be Chuck Berry and for some reason, Little Richard, but that's another story. <laughs> and as those kids listened to that music from the other side of the tracks, they didn't care where it came from. It was just cool, man. So by the time the 60s rolled around, you could get a, a gymnasium full of kids in a segregated gymnasium with a rope down the middle to keep the black kids and the white kids from dancing together. We talk about tolerance. We tolerate back pain. We tolerate toothaches. We tolerate things that we cannot change and we just have to live with. We don't tolerate this music. We celebrate this music because guess what? Five good-looking black guys from Detroit toured in the Deep South, played that segregated gymnasium with just those five notes. And when those kids heard those five notes, they tore down the rope themselves and danced together to the Temptations. sunshine on a cloudy day when it's cold outside I got the month of May help me sing it well I guess you say what can make me feel this way my girl Talking about my girl, my girl. Ooh. Ooh. 
And even though when I get to that third grade classroom and and those kids say, that's cool, but that's granddaddy's music. What that got to do with us? I have to remind them of Sunhouse in the Mississippi Delta in 1928, banging out the Death Letter Blues. What if Sunhouse, instead of doing each verse twice, did each verse once, sped up the tempo, faded the music out, this would be the 1928 Death Letter Blues, 2021, the remix. Got a letter this morning, how do you think it rains? Hurry, hurry, cause a gal you love is dead. You know I packed up my suitcase, took off down the road. When I got there, she was laying out on the cooling board. I ease up close and I look down in her face and say, Hey, you know I love you, but I just can't take your place. It seemed like the thousand was standing around the funeral ground. I didn't know how much I loved it till they put my baby in the ground. I fold my arms and then I walked away and said, Hey, you know I love you. Have to see your judgment day. You know I woke up this morning, it was about to break a day. And I was hugging on the pillow where my baby used to lay. I went to church, bowed down. I tried to pray with the blues coming along and they blew my spirit away. Woke up this morning about to break a day and I was hugging on the pillow where my baby used to lay. I said, Hush, I thought I heard a quarter. My name. She didn't call so loud, but she called so plain. Yeah, boy. Thank you. That was three chords and five notes from Detroit storyteller Reverend Robert B. Jones. A story mapping out America's musical history. A story about transformation, musical ideas in the heads of people all over the country making great music. And in just a moment, a little talk back around the desk with Brian and Heather about that story, followed by part two of Quentin Manning, Detective for Justice, and the case of the flattened tires, a mystery written by the great storyteller Bill Harley and cooked up in the Appleseed secret lab. You won't want to miss a word. I'm Sam Payne. just our pleasure to hear Robert B. Jones recorded live in the Appleseed studio with three chords and five notes. And to chat about it for just a moment, I've got Heather and Brian with me behind the desk. Guys, thanks for joining me. Hey. Hello. Where does a story like this take you? I mean, this is the history of music. Uh, where could it not take us? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what more is there to say? He kind of yeah. took yeah. us through right. a hundred years of popular music. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fantastic. And I think about when I was young and, oh, shoot, what's the song that comes on? And it's a long, long time ago. Oh, oh American Pie. Yeah, American, American Pie. Pie. Yeah. I'm like, this is kind of a cooler version, perhaps, of American yeah. Pie. As much as I love Don McClain. Deep roots. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, that's what I thought of. How about you, Brian? And I love how he's framing it for these elementary school kids to say, like, the music that you're listening to comes from somewhere, and it's music that your parents loved and your grandparents loved, and it's all part of a big tradition. And I think that's a really cool way to connect that. Well, the story did remind me of a memory that I'd like to share as today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed. When you plant a shade tree, there's nothing more satisfying than to see the branches spreading out ever wider and stronger from the trunk of the tree over the years. And it takes years, patience, It's one of the things you look for in a shade tree. It's one of the reasons you planted it, for it to spread out, for the branches to find their own way, fed by the trunk, but arcing out and away from it, the leaves on those branches spreading to gather light. We talk about trees when we talk about families, don't we? Sometimes 
when we draw a family tree, we start with ourselves as the trunk, and then we draw mom and dad as the first two branches, and then our four grandparents as the branches beyond that, and then our eight great-grandparents as further branches, and then our 16 great-great-grandparents, and so forth. But I've seen family trees drawn the other way, too, from the trunk of the oldest members of the family, from grandma and grandpa, say, spring the branches of mom and dad and siblings and cousins and grandchildren spreading and reaching like the branches of a shade tree out and away from the trunk of grandma and grandpa. In my family tree, there are branches of the family in Tennessee and in Los Angeles and in Salt Lake City and far across the sea in Leicester, England. And that's just my siblings. I've got cousins in Wisconsin and aunts and uncles in Portland and Phoenix. And they've got cousins in Minnesota and North Carolina. A lot of branches, a lot of shade. And while it doesn't happen all that often, every once in a while, for one reason or another, all those folks get called into one room where you can get a look at them all together, where you can see the variety and direction of all the branches at once. Family reunions are like that. Weddings are sometimes like that. Funerals, too. Not too long ago, I stood at the pulpit to officiate in a funeral service for my dear stepdad. And everyone had gathered, the folks from Phoenix and the folks from North Carolina and Minnesota and the folks from Portland and Tennessee and Los Angeles and Salt Lake City and even the folks from far across the sea in Leicester, England. They were all there. And because I was the guy at the pulpit, I got the prime vantage point, a view of all of them together. If you had been standing at the pulpit, you might first have noticed the differences between all those people. Some were big, some were small, some were in Sunday dress, some were in shorts and t-shirts, some sat surrounded by large families of children, some sat by themselves, some sat with spouses, some sat with partners. There were folks from different faiths, folks from different schools, folks from different political parties. That was all easy enough to see, the differences. Look further in, and you'd have seen even more. You'd have seen how though some people in that room play guitar and some play trombone and some play piano and some like folk music and some like rap and some like classical music and some like new music and some like old music, we're all, weirdly, musicians. You'd have seen how my cousins look like their moms and how their moms look like my mom. You'd have seen how a relationship with God defines how their lives and actions have played out, even their careers, the careers of many of those folks. You'd have heard my nephew say to his sister's boyfriend that if you put a beard on me, I'd be exactly the same guy as that nephew's dad, my brother. And you'd have seen that same nephew stand together with two other young men, my youngest son and a friend, Xander, who isn't even blood family. And you'd have remarked at how much those three boys all seem remarkably like the same person. We have, all of us, changed since the beginning since the start of our family. But like the familiar chords, the familiar notes running through a piece of music, we continue to be like each other as well. There is a resonance in each one of us for every other one of us. Those similarities all come from the roots and from the trunk of the tree. And the differences come as each person over time has grown up and outward, sustained by the roots and the trunk, into his or her own person, his or her own branch of the tree, each branch out there, reaching out its fingers, spreading its leaves, and gathering and gathering all the light it can. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. A pleasure to talk with Brian and Heather about the Robert B. Jones story, Three Chords and Five Notes. Guys, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Lots more coming up on the Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. Thank you.
Up next on the Apple Seed, a real treat for you, part two of Quentin Manning, Detective for Justice, the case of the flattened tires. You can find part one of this Quentin Manning mystery in last week's episode, season two, episode 27, if you want to look it up. One of our favorite things about making a Quentin Manning mystery is working with the terrific actors that bring the characters to life. And uh, we talked to Ben Butters, who plays Quentin Manning. We caught up with him where he's working these days, a theater company in Wichita, Kansas. And he told us a little bit about what it's like to bring a character like Quentin Manning to life, as well as bring all sorts of characters to life on stage in the work he's doing now. I love that I get to be so many different people in one summer. A lot of times when I have a job, it's for a much longer period of time doing the same show over and over again. In this job, I'm learning a new show and performing it every three weeks. And the range of characters and roles that I get to play is a lot of fun. I started the summer performing all these big show numbers and tap dancing my feet until they were bruised and battered. And now this show, I'm playing a munchkin that uh, is just scooting around on a scooter. I'm a person in the Emerald City, and I'm a jitterbug. So it stretches you, and it um, allows you to do a lot of things that I wasn't expecting to do on my first job out of school. So Quentin was my first continued character for voice acting. I'm excited to just hear an episode all the way out together. I'm also very excited to hear the other actors' voices. I recorded this with Sam and with some sound technicians, just me alone recording my own lines in the booth. And I haven't met any of the other actors yet, and I don't know how they sound, what character voices they might bring to the roles, and I also don't know what choices they made. So I'm excited to hear it all together to see what we all created separately and how it all forms together as this, this big story. I love Quentin because he is so okay with being himself. And he doesn't really understand why other people don't love what he loves. He's obsessed with this book series and wants to be like his favorite character in this book series by Rip Sturgeon. I love how passionate he is about what he does. He always wants to help. And I think at the root of everything, though it may come across as he can get a little bossy and a little big for his britches, so to speak, he genuinely, I think, wants to help people. And solving school mysteries is the way that he has decided he can help make the world a better place. We all want that. He has a huge uh, sense of right and wrong, and more than anything, justice. He wants to do what's right purely because it is the right thing. And that is a beautiful trait. I think we all could work on that. I kind of was Quentin. I became obsessed with musical theater since uh, when I was really young. and. A lot of my hobbies and the things that I decided to do both in, in the classroom and outside of school, and they stemmed off of this passion that I had and this desire to work in the theater industry. And I dabbled in a lot of different things, but I, I relate to his, his passion about a particular subject and his desire to pursue that and know what he wants from a really young age. As I've gotten older and more experienced in the field, I've been able to find those people who are equally as passionate about what I want to do. And that's definitely become the case as I finished up school. It's nice to have people who get it. I think Quentin and Sam, they're in a relationship where Sam might not always get it, but he's okay with that because he's Quentin's best friend. And I think that's a real example of true friendship. You might not always understand it, but what's more important is the fact that you're there for each other. Thanks to Ben Butters 
for taking us behind the scenes for a look at what it's like to play a kid like Quentin Manning. Now, to catch you up, in the last episode of The Appleseed, on part one of Quentin Manning, Detective for Justice, in the case of the flattened tires, Quentin took on the self-appointed job of private detective at Marlowe Middle School. He enlisted his best friend, Sam Turnquist, formed a tenuous alliance, not quite a friendship, with Sidney Plum, the daughter of the school custodian, and set out to find the mysterious criminals who are flattening the tires at the school bike rack. Quentin suspects Timmy and Jimmy, the Burmick twins. Will he be right? As bumbling as they are, will Quentin and Sam ever even find out? We're happy to bring you part two of Quentin Manning and the case of the flattened tires on the Appleseed. This is Quentin Manning, Detective for Justice. When I left you, I had just finished writing to mystery writer Rip Sturgeon about my new detective agency. We were hot on the trail of a criminal deflating bicycle tires behind Marlowe Middle School. Just as Deke Benchley was constantly facing mayhem caused by his nemesis, Simeon Blathersnipe, I suspected I was dealing with the chaos caused by the Burmick twins, Timmy and Jimmy. And so, the next morning, we set out to trap them. This is ridiculous. Where's Quentin? I should still be sleeping. Sam, you're here bright and early. You know, only one kid so far. He didn't flatten his own tires. Sam, no one is going to flatten any tires when we're standing here. I was wondering about that. We have to conceal ourselves. Conceal? What do you mean? Conceal means hide. Why don't you just say hide? I don't see anywhere to hide but that dumpster. Perfect. Well done, Sam. Wait, you're kidding. We'll be right by the bike rack. There's garbage and rotten food in there. Here, I'll give you a boost up. Me? Why not you? It's your idea. Calm down, Sam. Both of us are going in. Uh, but you're shorter than me and need a boost up. What if we get stuck in there? We're not getting stuck. We've got to hurry, Sam, before anybody else comes. We don't want to miss our chance to catch the Burmex. Quentin, I'm not sure. This is a detective's work. Climbing in a dumpster. It's a stakeout. There's a stakeout in every Deke Benchley book. Come on. Okay, but I doubt he ever spent time in a dumpster. Immaterial. Put your foot in my hand and I'll boost you up. <laughs> Push up on the cover! Oh, man. It's really heavy. You can do it! There. Oh, man, No, pull me up. I'm already holding up the cover with one hand. With the other hand. Come on, almost I'm there. I'm pulling as hard as I can. Almost. Almost. Here. Okay, I... Uh, oh, no. There, we're in. Oh, man, oh, man. I think we're standing in raw sewage. No, we're not. They don't put sewage in a dumpster. <sighs> Something gross. Rotten cabbage. Calm down, Sam. Uh, now, one of us needs to peek out the top. Here, I'll give you a boost up the side, and you can lift the lid just a little to keep an eye out. No, it's all slimy. I can feel as I slid down. Sam, you can't hold me up. Uh, I'll give you a boost. I can't breathe. I don't mind, Sam, regardless of whether we're getting out or spying, we have to lift the lid. I'll boost you up. Put your foot here. Uh, it's slippery and gunky. Push the lid open a little. I can barely lift it. Yucky. <laughs> Fresh air. I can breathe. See if you can see anything. Don't make noise, or you'll scare the perpetrators away. The perpetrator? Perpetrator. The ones committing the crime. Oh, for Pete's sake. Can you see anything? I can just see the bottom of the bike rack. Wait. Shh. Parking their bike. What do you see? Okay, they're leaving. It's not them. I can only see their shoes. How long are we going to have to do this? I can't be late for my science class. Mr. Lackalot is always getting mad at kids who are late for their first class. He's always telling us not to dilly-dally on our way to class. We're not dilly-dallying. I don't think Mr. Lackalot would agree. How much longer? Until we catch the culprits. Or I die from inhaling sewage. Oh, it's not sewage. Do you see anything yet? No. 
all I can do is smell everything, including my clothes, which are soaked with sewage. It's not sewage! Oh no, that's the bell. If I'm late for class, Mr. Lackalot will mark me late. If you get three late marks, then you get a detention mark. If you get three detention marks, you get an expulsion mark, and I'll be kicked out of school. Sam, it's only one late mark. Two. I already have one late mark. Sam, be quiet. You don't understand. My grandmother Sam, told me. Sam, Listen, just listen. She says attendance is... Wait. What's that? Someone's letting the air out of the tires. Uh, look and see. Oh my gosh. Push me up higher. I can't push any higher. Can you see anything? I think there's two of them. I see them flattening the tires on a bike. I think it's yours. The Burmix. Is it the Burmix? I can't see their faces. Push the lid up more. I can't. It's heavy. Push me up more. I can't. The side is slippery. What do you see? It's a pair of those fancy black sneakers. Push me up. Wait. I'm slipping. Help. Get off me. Sewage. We're all sewage. I'm going to die. You're not going to die. I, I might, or at least be stuck in here overnight without my inhaler. My asthma can be very serious in enclosed spaces. We're going to die in here. No one will ever find us. Sam, calm down. It was worth it. We've got important information. What are you even talking about? We know what kind of shoes the culprits have. Black ones. I think they were Lodestar 514. Yes, I believe you're right. Hey. The lid, it's opening. Help, help, we're trapped. Excuse me, but whoever you are, we could use your assistance. We seem to be in a bit of a predicament. I don't believe it. Wait, is that? How long have you dummies been in there? Forever. 15 minutes. Is that you, Sydney? Well, there's a stroke of luck. Could you help us out? As soon as you tell me why you're in there. Oh, it's a secret case, and we can't reveal it quite yet. We're trying to catch whoever's letting air out of the tires. Sam! That's what I figured. Be right back. I hope she hurries. I'm going to get expelled from school. I can feel my air passages constricting. I wish you hadn't given her so much information. Who knows who she'll tell? Maybe she's the flat tire culprit's assistant. I don't care what she is, as long as she hurries. She's left us. I knew it. I'm going to miss lunch. And today is pizza. Did you know they only make 65 slices of pepperoni? It's been an hour. It's been 10 minutes. Hey, look at this. It's some kind of card. Don't pick it up. It's filthy. I know, but it's like a credit card. Don't touch it, Sam. It's a gift card to Ready Mart for $50. Oh my Just gosh. Just drop it, Sam. Someone must have thrown it out by mistake. I love Ready Mart. They have these huge bags of cheese curls. Do you know how many bags of cheese curls $50 would buy? <laughs> cheese curls. Just drop it, Sam. No! Why would I do that? Okay, keep it. But put it in your pocket and wash it off later. Hey, you guys. Finally! What took you so long? I had to get the ladder from the gym, and my mom had the keys. Great. If you'll just let us out, we'll be on our way. I'm trying to decide why I should let you out. Because? It's the right thing to do. Yeah, there's that. Anything else? We'll die in here, surrounded by sewage. It's a horrible death. There's no sewage. Do I get some kind of reward or something if I let you out? You can come to the banquet. There is no banquet. Detectives can't be blackmailed. OK, bye. No, no, wait. I can't breathe. Where's my hand? Stop. Come back. We'll give you anything. Anything. Sam? Detectives don't capitulate. I have no idea what you're even talking about. Sydney, wait, help. I've got something we can offer. I'm all ears. Would you like to be a detective with us? That could be a reward. What? Sam, no. Why not? It's an interesting offer. You can't just be a detective because someone asked you. You have to have experience. I don't have any experience. That's different. Because he's a boy? No, it's just, well, I needed one assistant, and I thought it would be easy to train Sam. This is training? No. Uh, yes. Uh, immaterial. I don't know. Look. Could you just let us out? Say the magic words. Please, 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 please. I'm waiting. Please. My pleasure. Here's the ladder. I didn't really want to be in your stupid detective agency anyway. Huh? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let me lead the way, Sam. I have to get out. I'm the head detective, Sam. Right, okay, fine, Chief. 
Just hurry up. I'm gonna die in here. There. Good as new. Ugh, you guys are a mess. And you smell like sewage. I told you. Uh, let's go to my mom's office. The lost and found should have some clothes. Okay, but we have to hurry. Mr. Lackalot's gonna kill me. Teachers don't kill students, Sam. That's hyperbole. Sam didn't die, although he did get a t-shirt with glitter on it that said Material Girl. Mine said, I speak fluent K-pop, which is a language I had never heard of. And while all we knew about the tire flatteners was the color of their shoes, our stakeout did have unexpected consequences, as we found out later in the day. Sam, important news. Me too, Chief. Very important. Hey, nice t-shirts, you dweebs. Thanks. I just saw one of the Burmics. Jimmy or Timmy, I don't know which. Guess what he was wearing. It's haunted. Lodestar 514s. This proves it. Hundreds of kids have those. But it's haunted. What's haunted? The dumpster. Everybody in my class is talking about it. Nobody's going to park their bikes there anymore. I knew there was something strange about it as soon as what we got in there. What are you talking about? It's not haunted. Yes, it is. Some kid in my class heard about it in his study period. There was some kid near it, and he heard moans and chains rattling and screams. Some kid probably got thrown out with the trash one day, and nobody noticed him. Then he got carried away and got crushed in the garbage truck. And now he comes back and haunts the dumpster. Sam, listen. I'm sure glad he didn't get us. Sam, stop. Use your head. Who do you think the ghost was? I don't know. It probably happened a couple years ago, and the principal covered it up. Sam, the ghost was you. Me? No, I'm still alive. Quentin, ghosts are dead people who come back to haunt the places where horrible things happen to them. Listen, this morning we were making noise when the kids who let the air out of the tires were there. They must have heard it and told everybody there was a ghost. You are the ghost. If we can find out who told the story first, we'll know who was flattening the tires. Hey guys, did you hear? There's a ghost in the dumpster. Yeah, I heard the same thing. Did you hear this from the Burmix? No, some girl in eighth grade. My brother in high school told me. No, a seventh grader actually knew the kid who died. So that was it. The ghost in the dumpster was already legend, but an effective one because the tire flattening stopped. I still suspected the culprits wearing the Lodestar 514s were none other than the Burmix. It was important information I would use in the weeks ahead. Clearly, the case of the flattened tires is only the beginning. The shadowy underworld of a middle school needed a detective, and I was that man. Now, time to head home and wash off. Ugh, I smell like sewage. When I got there, I heard the sound of a chainsaw. My mother, probably, tuning up the tools she uses in her landscaping business. Hey, Mom. 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 Mom! Oh. Hi, honey. I didn't hear you. I'm up against a deadline. Working on someone's trees? No, just trying to finish this brontosaurus sculpture. Where's Dad? In the basement. Working on the project. Oh, no! Has he been in my room? I thought I heard him upstairs earlier. My new computer! Dad! Have fun! Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, Dad! Figaro, 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 Figaro! No, no, Dad, no! Quentin, my son, my progeny, my hope for the future! Dad, what are you doing? Look, do you see this? Isn't it gorgeous? <laughs> Won't the 17 companies that fired me be sad? Are those the insides of my... The universe will come to our door. I just got that computer, Dad! No worries. I'll reassemble it as soon as this little test is done. You said that the last time! I know, but this time is different. Microchip is even smaller and more powerful. Behold. Dad, no! Horns playing a Neapolitan sixth. Dad, no. Yes! <laughs> Dad, yes! turn it Just off. Just a few more seconds and we'll know. The Gordian knot of artificial intelligence untied. Yes! Ask a question, Quentin. Any question. Come on, Dad. Any question? Any question at all. Like, where does your detective novelist live? Rip Sturgeon? Where does Rip Sturgeon live? Excellent suggestion. Let's see. No, Dad, I didn't even ask that. You did. Here we go. Dad. See? 
It's a map. It's narrowing in on a location. Closer, closer. Dad, are you even looking at this? It's just zeroing in on our town. You know, where we live. It sure looks like it. Should give us an exact location momentarily. Dad, it's not working. It's clearly just looking for this computer or something. Uh-huh. Let me make a few adjustments. Nope. Still just our town. Wait. Let me try and fix it. No, no, no! Dad! Oh, no. Amazing how dark the basement gets. Like a black hole's event horizon. I noticed. A few small bugs left to fix. I'll start the generator. So, my dad had wrecked my computer. And that may seem like a huge tragedy, but honestly, it happens all the time. To me. And it might also have preoccupied me to a greater degree if my head weren't filled with a case. The case of the flattened tires! By giving the school a ghost in the dumpster to be afraid of, we had stopped the crime, but we hadn't solved it. For my part, I was still on the case. This was my calling! As for the Burmick twins, they'd better sleep lightly. I'm hot on the trail. Until next time, dear listener, I remain your humble servant, Quentin Manning, Detective for Justice. <laughs> Quentin Manning, Detective for Justice. This Quentin Manning mystery was written by the wonderful storyteller Bill Harley. And if you missed it, you can hear part one in last week's episode of the show, season two, episode 27. You can find it at byuradio.org, on the BYU Radio app, or by subscribing to the podcast. And we'll bring you more Quentin Manning mysteries in future episodes of The Apple Seat, as well as more storytellers, stories, and songs to keep you entertained, thoughtful, and hopefully eager to share your stories around the kitchen table or the living room, that kind of storytelling and make for memories that last a lifetime. It's been a pleasure for me to be part of this hour with you on the Appleseed, where great stories can change your world. We're pleased and proud to be part of the BYU Radio family of programs, and you can find this episode or any episode from our archive on the BYU Radio app or at byuradio.org or by Googling the Appleseed Podcast. And if you found the show on the podcast, feel free to rate us and leave us a review. It helps people find the show. And of course, you can send us an email, too, if you like. We love to hear your story. Find us at theappleseed at byu.edu. And thanks to Kim, who told us, I love that the show asks us to share our own stories. We've had a good time doing that with our kids on the way to school. Kim, we're really happy to hear that. It's just what the show is for. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed. Seed.